Well, good morning again. So this morning you had two choices. Let me give you these two choices that you had. One, it could have been 100 degrees in here. Or two, it could be 50 degrees in here. So just by show of hands, how many of you like the 50-degree feel? All right, so the rest of you quit whining. All right. <laughs> We're going to take up an extra offering for the power bill this month, so if you guys would stay. I'm glad you're here this morning. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. Now, we have been in a series called Who Is He? Understanding the character and the nature of God. The more you know about God, the more you grow in your relationship with God. And unfortunately for most of us, when we think about who he is, we isolate it to a couple of things. We've talked about that, about how we only see God as loving, which he is perfectly loving. We're going to deal with that in a few weeks. But over the last several weeks, we looked at God and how he is completely knowable through Jesus Christ. We've looked at God and how he is all-sustaining in the sense that he is sufficient for everything that we need. And he's unchanging in the midst of that. This morning, we're going to switch gears a little bit because in many ways, this attribute of God, this characteristic of God is something that we have as well. It's the idea of God being wise. Now, for many of us, when we think about wisdom, we think about simply knowledge, and that's not it. Wisdom from a biblical explanation and understanding is not just knowing things, it's applying it in a moral way. You feel me on that? It's knowing but yet at the same time applying. That's why Proverbs, as well as many of the other passages of Scripture we find in Job, Ecclesiastes, and even Psalms, deal with wisdom, but they deal with it from the perspective of know what wisdom is, but do it. And many times, those two don't go together for us very well. Agreed? We know what to do, but we don't do it well. And hopefully you've grown in wisdom. Let me give you an example. When I was 20 years old, not wise y'all with me on that because <laughs> we're really not at 20 i would do anything and like many of you you were bulletproof right at 20 years old and i'll never forget i worked for a, an organization that did zip lines y'all know, know what that is they've got all these huge things up in the air and you get on the zip line and you go across the tops of the trees and they say hey look we've built this zip line nobody's gone on it and nobody's ever done it like an eagle before and i'm like that sounds awesome i'll do it and so they rig me up, and they attach me on the back, and I jump off this platform willingly, spread eagle like that, flying across the sky at the top of the trees. That's stupid. Are y'all with me? The 40-something-year-old Chip, 20 years later, sitting with a zip line now with my 11-year-old son, like his dad, he jumps off and goes, wee-hee, and goes across. I get out and go, wait a minute, this makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I'm about to jump off a perfectly good ramp held together by a cable that man has built. This guy behind me, who I know is like 20 as well, and I'm going to jump off and zip line. And I sat there and was like, you're going to have to push me, dude. And he goes, what? Push me, because this doesn't make sense to me. He finally pushed me out. Here's the deal. As you get older, hopefully you grow in wisdom, or, less, or, or at least you understand your mortality a little bit more, right? Wisdom and how you live your life comes from the Lord. But it also comes through knowledge. When we talk about God's wisdom, we're talking about a multifaceted understanding of who God is and how he performs that wisdom. Here's a couple things you need to know. God in his wisdom is all-knowing. He knows everything that's been, everything that is happening, 
and everything that will be. If you took a microscope and took a rose petal and looked underneath it, you'd see all the layers of that rose petal and all the different hues and colors and things that make up that rose. God sees that. God created that. You take every thought inside of your brain, scary thought for a moment. God knows every thought. You take every atom in your body and throughout the entire universe. God knows all that. He is all-knowing. Psalm 139, verse 4. If we're attacking this from a biblical perspective, it says, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it what? Completely. He knows what you're going to say. Oh, no. <laughs> he's all-knowing. But in the midst of that, he's also all-powerful. We can't know all things. We can know some things, but we can't know all things. And we definitely don't have the power to make what we know always happen. Agreed? One of those tragic things is knowing what to do and have no power to do anything about it. And another tragic thing is having the power to do something but don't have the brain capacity to handle it. Y'all been there on both sides, right? God is all-powerful. Job chapter 9, verse 4. Very interesting as Job talks about that. It says, his wisdom is profound. His power is what? Vast. Not only is he wise and all-knowing, he has the power to do something in that wisdom. But even more so, in the power to do something in that wisdom, we've seen many people walk across the face of this planet who have power and have wisdom but are complete sinful in how they apply that. Agreed? Tyrants, dictators, people perhaps in your own family, manipulators. Notice the thing about God. He is all good. Psalm 149, 45, 9. It says this, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all things he has what? Made. So let's deal with this. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And as he acts in his wisdom, he is good. But there's one more facet to his wisdom you need to understand. There is a purpose in who he is and what he does. There's a purpose in that wisdom. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 is one of the most popular scriptures that many of you can quote. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, let's, let's stop right here for a moment. That's a great passage of Scripture. Any of y'all read that before? You like that passage, right? Some of you got a tattoo of that passage. I'm about to ruin your tattoo. <laughs> he says that in Jeremiah. And then afterward, the people of Israel go through years of hellacious experiences. That doesn't sound like a promise, but yet afterward, way on down the road, he establishes Israel, he has a plan, he has a purpose to bring Israel back to the promised land. They were in captivity in Babylon. He established it, and then Jesus comes. There's your prosperity. You follow me on that? So interestingly enough, here's what I want you to get before we really dive in. One, God knows all. Two, God is powerful enough to make it happen. Three, he does it in goodness and righteousness. And four, he has a plan and a purpose in the midst of his wisdom in doing that. Now, what we mean by that is that he has a plan and a purpose for you. Now, we're constantly looking for what God's will is for our lives. Agreed? We're constantly trying to figure that out. Y'all been there, right? Y'all looked up, Lord, what is in this? Why is this happening? Show me a sign. We've done that. You ready for your sign? Here we go. God's plan is for your salvation for you to come to know Jesus. God's plan after you come to know Jesus is for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You follow me on this? God's plan and purpose is for his kingdom come, his will be what? 
done. It's the establishment of his kingdom where you have satisfaction and joy forever. And his plan is for his glory, which is all satisfying for you. That's his plan. And in the context of his wisdom, he has the power of making that happen. Even in the difficulties, and even in the hardships, there is a plan that's underlying in the midst of that, that God is doing something there. Now, the problem is, we sometimes miss this. Let me help you understand what I mean by that. Believe it or not, I had hair. I know, I know, it's hard to believe. But there was a moment in my life, brief, where I had hair. And guys, I'm going to be really, I'm going to demonstrate some bitterness here that I have. It, it, you feel me? It was thick. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> I wasn't pointing at you. There's a guy behind you. Uh, <laughs> it was thick hair. And I wake up every morning, and my hair went everywhere. Any of y'all grow up like that? You, put, you get up, and it was thick, straight hair. I even got a cowlick in the back. If I try to shave my hair by myself, I miss about three blotches, and you've seen it and made fun of me on Sunday mornings before. Here's the deal. It was thick, and everyone would get up, and I'd have to go to the sink, and I'd have to put my head under the sink, get water all in my hair. Any of y'all do this? Can y'all feel me on this? Help me. Here's the deal. And then I have to take one of those strong, those strong, thick, black combs. You know, they're about that long. They're the size of a ruler, and you have to go through your hair. And it's just like, gosh, it's like, especially when I was six years old, mom and dad was trying to help me. It was like, it was like they were pulling my hair out. That's why I lost all my hair right there. In the midst of God working in your life, that pain is making you more like him. You feel me on that? He's making you pretty. So here's the deal. Well, we need to understand something here. God is all loving, but don't misunderstand in the midst of all that wisdom that he has and the plan he is orchestrating in your life, those hard times can be very loving. You with me? Because two things are happening in the context of his, of his plan. And I want you to think about this as a, as a two-lane road going, down, going the same direction. In one lane, God is doing something in you and for you. You believe that, right? God is doing something in you and for you. He's, through those difficulties, working things out. Through those experiences and circumstances, he's moving you closer to him. Through those dark times, hopefully, you're coming and growing and counting on him. That's one side of the road. The other side of the road, this is what makes God so big and so powerful. While he's doing something uniquely powerful in your life, He's bringing about his, his totality of his plan for creation as a whole, and you're a part of it, going in the same direction. You see that? Now, we're going to see that in detail in just a moment as we study the life of a guy named Jacob. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, we're introduced to a young man named Jacob. He's the grandson of Abraham. You've heard of Abraham possibly before. At least you've heard of Father Abraham had many what? Sons and many sons had Father what? Abraham. Now, some of you have no idea what I just said there, but if you grew up in the 80s and you went to church, you sang that song. Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish people. And God made this promise to him. He said, you're going to have a child, and that child's going to produce offspring, and those offspring are going to be like the sand on the seashore. There's going to be so many of them. From that, we have the Jewish people. He has one son. His name is Isaac. Isaac, again, has two sons that are twin boys, Esau, and then the other one was called what? Jacob. Now, here's what's interesting about Jacob. When he was born, he was known as a heel grabber. What does that mean? 
he was holding on to his brother's heel as he was born and so they gave him the name jacob which means you're trying to overcome other people you're a heel grabber you're a trickster you're not a great guy because the thing is the firstborn always had the birthright the secondborn was cast to the side and said we love you but this guy esau he's going to be the guy that gets the riches gets the herds gets everything now a couple things you need about jacob in the midst of that his whole persona was about tricking people his whole persona was about trying to overcome his brother esau was this guy he said he was masculine he was a hunter he was out in the wilderness he'd go and kill his food he'd bring it back skin it clean it cook it for his family everything and so as isaac grew older their father he lost sight he couldn't see anymore and because jacob was such a mama's boy and that's the exact way he's betrayed nothing wrong with being a mama's boy i am by the way but because he was the mom's favorite his mom and jacob came together and said we're going to fool your dad into giving you the blessing of the birthright you go you kill a goat i'll cook it like your brother and say like your brother cooks it we'll say it's wild game your brother's hairy you're going to put a fleece on your arm think through this for a moment you've read that story before right they put a fleece of goat hair on his arm how hairy was his brother y'all with me on that y'all ever thought about that before new things in scripture you never dealt with all right so he walks up to his dad he brings the food he smells like his brother he's got the hair like his brother he feeds him he says i give you the blessing of the birthright you are now going to have it all and then he finds out esau's been hunting this whole time comes for his blessing and said i already gave it to your brother what does esau do he gets mad right his whole life he's been promised this he's a young man now He's about to whip and kill his brother, right? His mom comes to him and says, Jacob, you need to go back to my family, who's in what's present-day Iraq right now, and you go find my brother Laban and live with him until your brother cools down. So he gets there. He goes all the way. God tells him, I got a purpose for you. He gets to, the prom gets to that land there in Babylon Babylonia or what is present-day Iraq or Baghdad now. He meets his, his, uncle, his uncle Laban. I'm going to get all this right. And here's the deal. He falls in love with Laban's daughter but it's the second born and laban tricks him and says this you got to marry the firstborn first so he does and he marries the second born and then he owes 14 years of service to laban so now he has two wives one he loves one he doesn't like he's having to serve his father-in-law now for the rest of it for the next 14 years but here comes the trickster again he somehow swindles a deal with his father-in-law where he gets all the weak animals and makes up his own herd and before you know it, he has a bigger herd and a flock than his father-in-law. His father-in-law finds out he's furious. And so he decides to kill Jacob, the perpetual trickster here. You with me so far? So he flees from Laban. And we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 32. Behind him is Laban, who wants him gone. He can never return. In front of him, he's standing on the edge of the promised land is his brother who esau and all he can think of is my brother's going to kill me right i stole his birthright now at this point jacob has all these kids and these two wives he has all these things all these herds and he comes to the edge of the promised land he's literally going home but he doesn't know what he's going into and his whole life it's been about tricking people he's the heel grabber now he's at the edge of the promised land let's go to chapter 32 we're going to be in verse 24 and i want you to notice what happens here 
We'll, we'll start in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford at Jabuk. Jabuk is a river, is the edge of the promised land, or a creek, really. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So he's there alone. All of his family's gone in front of him. They're entering into the promised land. He's thinking, Esau will never kill my wife and my kids. Esau will never do anything. They haven't done anything wrong. And so he gets to verse 24. It says, so Jacob was left alone. In the darkness of the night, he's by himself. Now, let's stop here for a second. You ever felt that way before? It's, you know, in a metaphorical sense, you're by yourself. And you don't see the direction. What's in front of you doesn't look good. What's behind you definitely isn't good. You been there? There's Jacob. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, we find out that man is God in just a few minutes. But in the darkness of the night, Jacob encounters someone. Now, we've got to remember something about this. Jacob's a trickster, but he's also a warrior. He's strong. This guy can fight. He's never lost before. And he wrestles in the, in the midst of that darkness, and he, he's not able to overcome the Lord. And the Lord doesn't overcome him in those moments. But notice this. Get what happens. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Now I want you to understand something. He touches the socket of his hip. His hip comes out of joint. He can't, for the rest of his life, he walks with a cane. Something supernatural happens here. Now, I want you to think deeper than this, these two guys wrestling here. This is not just a wrestling match. This is what's happening in Jacob's soul here. He has wrestled with the Lord his entire life. He's known as a trickster. He's known as someone that tries to overcome. He's stolen his brother's birthright. He's stolen from his father-in-law. He has all this responsibility, and everything that he has tried to do has failed. You follow me on this? In the midst of the night, he wrestles with God yet again. Have you ever wrestled with God? You have. Absolutely you have with a decision you've got to make let's, let's take it a little deeper with a commitment you need to make with letting go of something how many of you ever struggled with forgiving somebody before that's a wrestling match guys how many of you ever struggled with a pain or a grief you can't let go of how many of you had a question about scripture that continues to rotate in your brains and you won't do anything about it all of us right you've wrestled with God but something supernatural happens. God touches his socket. His socket comes out of place. And we see a man who's totally trying to do it on his own, clinging to the Lord. Get this next part here. Then the man said, let me go for this daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's now de not dependent on himself. He's clinging to the Lord and dependence from him. And he says, I need your blessing. Do you see the difference here? In this moment, we see a transformation or conversion of Jacob he goes from being the guy who's wrestling with God to the guy who's clinging to God saying you're the only place I can get my blessing you follow me now that's where you and I need to be in our moments of darkness where we're wrestling with the Lord we're learning that we can't overcome him or get it our way until we learn that we walk with a limp and we need to cling to him you with me that's it. 
Now, a little bit more here. Because one more thing that happens. The man asked him, what is your name? Now, we're talking about God's wisdom here. Remember our first four things. He knows everything, right? He's all-powerful. Now, we see something happening here. God couldn't overcome Jacob. Now, really, could he? Absolutely, he could. In any moment. God is doing something intentionally here to where he allows Jacob to wrestle with him to the point to where Jacob can't do anything else but cling to him. And of course he knows Jacob's name, right? Of course he knows. He knows your name. The Bible says that he has every hair on our head numbered. He knows every hair follicle, guys. Now, with that being said, Jacob is forced to answer God. He says, my name, notice what happens. He answered, Jacob. And in that moment, he identifies himself as who he really is. I'm a trickster. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. From the moment I've been bo- I was born, I've been a person trying to overcome other per- people for my own good. That's who I am. If we had to look at the face of God and answer who we are, it'd be a scary moment, wouldn't it? But I want you to see what happens here. Because in that moment where he says, let me go, and he says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I'm dependent upon you, God. I am a complete and total sinner. God does something here. He says in verse 28, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. You see that? This is powerful. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, we later on verse C in verse 30, it says that Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it was because I saw, the, saw God face to face and my life was spared. He, he realized he was lost. But I want you to go back there. You'll be known as Israel. Israel, the name itself, has a lot of meaning. It means God fights for us. It means we've, they've striven against God and mankind and overcome only because of God but it also means bound to God just like Jacob was bound to that man he was wrestling you follow me so far and this is what I want you to get here it all points to wisdom in those moments where Jacob personally was being this trickster and deceiver God in his wisdom was doing something profound in his life to the moment to where he put his hip out of socket. And even though Jacob walked with a limp, there was a moment in there where God changed him personally. You understand that? And there's a moment in you when we're submissive, God changes us. You've been there, right? Hopefully it's a change that's maintained. Hopefully it's a lifestyle of repentance. But there's a moment in your life where that's happened, agreed? Where you've got nothing left to cling to but God. But I also want you to see what else is happening here. What was Jacob's name changed to? What? Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, correct? Israel is where God promised, I'm going to bring a Messiah. The Messiah, what's his name? Jesus. Jesus died for the sins of all people 
so that we all can become God's chosen people by asking him to come into our lives. You follow that? Do you see the greater plan here and how they work together? That's God and his wisdom, people. Is that God is uniquely working in your life and at the same time in this cosmic reality working for his kingdom come to bring us to a point to where his purposes of our salvation, our spiritual growth, his kingdom come, and his glory all intersect. Isn't that good? That's a powerful God. That's what's happening. So in your downcast moments, in those dark periods, God is working, not only for you, but for everybody. In those joyous moments, God is not just working for you, but for everybody. And remember, for his glory, where satisfaction rests. That's a profound wisdom that you and I can't get, right? And so as we're dealing with stuff, here's where we really get to the nitty-gritty of what's happening. As we're dealing with just life, there's a wisdom of God here that is completely profound that we can't always understand and see. But it is happening. You've seen it happen in retrospect, agreed? We're seeing it happen here in Scripture. So, with all that being said, I wanted to grab two things from this. And it really focuses around the name Israel. And if you're a Christian, you are the new Israel, okay? You are God's chosen people two things you got to understand what the Lord is doing in your life one God fights for us for his purpose and his plan and for your spiritual growth we're going to use a big Bible word here for your sanctification which means making you more like God God is fighting for that for you isn't that good is that you're not left alone to grow spiritually you have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that is God fighting for you. God is fighting for you. Does it feel like God is fighting for us sometimes? Absolutely not. But in the dark parts of the night where everybody's gone and you're left alone and you're wrestling with the Lord, you're clinging to him and say, Lord, you're the only blessing I can get. There's your lesson. There's your lesson. And in his wisdom, he fights for you. But here's the next part here you got to get. And guys, we're going to go deep into this on the podcast tomorrow morning it comes out at 8 30 in the morning tomorrow morning and you need to listen to it because it's really i don't have time to deal with all the all the minutiae with this but god fights against us what what do you mean by that that doesn't sound very godlike does it you just said he fights for us but he fights against us too yep you ready for this one he fights against you and me when we waver off his plan it's called conviction it's called discipline it's called gently putting you back into place he fights against us in galatians chapter 5 it talks about the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another and if you're a christian you deal with both have you ever had that angst where you feel like you want to go one way but you're drawn to the other way that's god fighting against that instinct to sin and if god's not fighting against that instinct to sin you're not a christian that's as easy as this is as real as i can put it that's where we're at god is fighting against those desires that are not of him god is fighting against those things that cause us or draw us into a place where we're not supposed to be god is fighting against those things that don't align in his purpose you follow me just like he fought against jacob and he says oh boy you gotta learn this is my path not just for you, but for everybody. 
So here's the question we deal with this morning. Is God fighting for you? And is God fighting against you? Now, I don't want you to think through it this way. Don't make, this, don't make a mistake that the difficult seasons that you go through are sinful consequences. Not necessarily. Because we've all gone through difficult seasons before, right? And sometimes things happen. And God uses those things. But here's the deal. In my instinct, I'm talking about Chip here, in my instinct to do bad things, there's a conviction and a pulling away from that to where God is fighting against those inclinations. Have y'all felt that? Have y'all felt that? That's the Lord. Praise God for that. He's fighting for you. He's fighting against those things. And the wisdom of an all-powerful God, remember, is perfect, it's all-knowing, it's righteous, and it has a purpose behind that. That is the loving action. So, as you go through these trying times and those dark recesses of the night, I want to give you three application steps, and then we're going to get out of here. Number one, what are the gospel responses to your current path? I believe that every situation has a gospel response. Now, personally, I don't always choose the gospel response. Do you? But when I take the gospel, the idea of redemption and reconciliation and repentance and responding in such a way, I'm convinced there's a gospel response. So think about your journey right now. Think about that moment to where God is, you feel like it's, it's nighttime and you're wrestling. What's the gospel response? So understanding his wisdom helps us keep moving forward. What's the gospel response? Number two, here's your application again. How are you taking it to God? Now, let me, let me, let's flesh this out. As you take it to God, you may be taking it to him in anger. Y'all done that before? Yeah. Sometimes we're in a fight or flight mode when we go to God. Y'all been there before? So maybe the better thing, are you consistently taking it to God? Are you trying to deal with it yourself? You're not meant to deal with it yourself. You're meant to walk with a limp and a crutch in life. It's called Jesus. And here's what's so fascinating about God's wisdom. It manifests itself completely on the cross. All the things that we're dealing with. All of his wisdom on the cross. Third thing. Seek his wisdom. One of the things I pray for more than anything else is for wisdom. Give me the knowledge, Lord, to apply it in the right way. James chapter 1, verse 5. It's one of the promises we have. The Bible says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who generously, you see that promise? Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Sometimes, instead of impulsively stepping out, we need to pause and say, Lord, what do you want? Give me the wisdom and the knowledge to move forward and apply in such a way. You follow me on this? Now, let's end it this way. One of the ways in many areas, tropical areas, they came up with a way to trap monkeys is they put a jar, and inside the jar they put a bait, typically a peanut, and the monkey will stick his hand into the jar and grab the peanut, but because his grasp is on that peanut or on that bait, he can't pull it out because he's got a fist. 
and then that monkey's easily collected. Sounds stupid because all you gotta do is let go of Pinot, get out, and go home, right? What are you clinging to that's keeping you stuck? You with me? What are you clinging to? And God in his wisdom has something for you. But many times we can't get back on track because we're clinging to something. Resentment, anger, bitterness, laziness, apathy, sinful temptations, trying to do it ourselves, frustration. Listen, there's two, remember the two lanes, right? God is in his wisdom doing something in you, through you, for you. And at the same time doing something great for his kingdom with you. You see that? What are you clinging to? This morning, some of us are clinging to things that we need to let go of. And for some of you, you need to know Jesus. You need to ask him to come into your life. And so if that's you this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to know Christ. One, you can check the box on your Connect card and say, I need to know Jesus. Two, you can text in the phrase, I need Jesus to them on the screen. Take those steps. But for others of you, you're clean. You need to get, let's just be real with each other. Some of us need to get baptized in this room. You know Christ, but you need to make it publicly. And the thing that you're clinging to is you're, you're afraid because you don't like being in front of people. Or two, you, you've, you're, you're prideful. Why do I need that? And it's time to take those steps and make that public. And so if that's you this morning, take a really strong step in your spiritual journey by submitting to the Lord in baptism and understanding what that means. For others of you, you need to get in a life group. It's just like, you know what? You need other people to grow with. You need to submit and be a part of the body of Christ and really understand what it means to go beyond just what's happening here. In order to do that, you got to let go. And you got to allow the Lord to do something good and big in your life and allow his wisdom to move in a righteous and powerful way. You with me, church? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, I pray that you would move. I pray that you would bless. I pray that you would strengthen us to follow you overwhelm us and allow us to encounter what it means to experience and know your wisdom. Fill us with your presence and overwhelm us with your grace. In Jesus' most powerful and perfect and precious name we pray. Amen.